iShares and S&P Dow Jones Indices are proud to support the Wealth Management Edge podcast and financial advisors. With more than 1,250 products worldwide, iShares is dedicated to empowering millions of people to make their money work for them. Visit www.ishares.com to learn more. S&P Dow Jones Indices is the largest global resource for essential index-based concepts, data, and research, and home to iconic financial market indicators such as the S&P 500 and the Dow Jones Industrial Average. iShares and S&P Dow Jones Industries are unaffiliated entities. Welcome to the very first ever Wealth Management Edge podcast. We are thrilled to be kicking off the conference here today with one of our first keynote visionary speakers, Michael Lane, who is the head of enterprise at U.S. Wealth Advisory at BlackRock. I'm Mark Bruno, the managing director of the Wealth Management Group at Informa Connect. And Michael, we have a lot to talk about, not just today, right, but for the next several days. I figure there's no better place to start with the most important, probably the most frequently asked question we'll have this week, right? Mm -hmm. While we're in bear market territory, we've been saying it is a bull market for advice, right? The need for professional financial advice has never been greater. Those are my words, not yours. I would ask you, do you agree or disagree with that? And if so, why? Yeah, well, first of all, it's great to be here and uh, really cool to be here as your first guest. So I appreciate that. And it's going to be fun tonight as we uh, kick off uh, with the visionary talk. So yes, uh, bear market, it's been a little bit rough for the last couple of years now. And uh, that is, it's an interesting thing. When you think about bear markets, a lot of times that it's when people would suggest that people will, will run from paying for advice. They'll, they'll be less likely to pay for advice because things didn't go well. So why should I pay for something when markets haven't been uh, as successful? And, and we know last year, it wasn't just equities, it was fixed income. Everything was looking pretty rough and bleak. Uh, now you think about like, is there a need for more advice? Yes. And are we seeing people terminating relationships with advisors? No, we're actually not seeing that. And that's what happens is when times aren't great, when it isn't easy to make 10, 12, 20% in the markets, that's when I think people actually seek out more advice. So the good news is uh, there should be more people out there seeking advice. There's a couple of challenges though. One is if you look at the statistics uh, of what's happening in the marketplace, you have more people that are actually going direct. Now, some of that data is a little bit questionable because when we look at that data, that includes new people that are like opening up accounts at Schwab or Fidelity or, or Robinhood, places like that. A lot, of those advi- a lot of those consumers, those investors are still getting advice. They're getting advice from those branch offices. So whether that's real direct or not direct, hard to say. But statistically, when you look at that, it looks like more people are going direct. And now is when those people should start beginning to understand the fundamentals of investing, particularly if this is the younger generation coming in. And from my perspective, I've never seen a need for advice to be greater than it is because of all of the solutions that are coming out with lower minimums that are available to investors that need to be really well understood of how to use them because of some of the liquidity constraints that a lot of these new products that are coming out that people could buy for as little as $2,500. And that's a, that's a problem as much as a, as a benefit. Yeah, it's interesting. It's, the options are overwhelming. There's no question. Yep. I think about it from the perspective of you know, the investor of the future, right? Because so much of what we talk about here this week is wealth 2.0, right? Not just where we are today, but where are we going over the next five, 10 years? And I see just sort of the interests and the needs and the demands to some extent 
of this, let's call them next generation of investors, is so different from, you know, I'm 45, right? Yeah. The way you know, some of the 20 and 30 year olds that are in my life think about money is very different from the way I think about it. And I'm not that much older, I think. I like to think. <laughs> um, so, I mean, what You're are young some- young to me. Thank you, I appreciate that. <laughs> what are some of the things that when you step back and you talk to the younger generation, one, you're noticing are some of the sort of the defining characteristics, right, in terms of what they're interested in and what motivates their investors. And, and what are some of the things, too, that you would expect to see, you know, or how that might evolve over the next several years? You know, I, I, uh, I have a series that I started, I don't know, maybe nine months ago called Hey Dad, where I talk to my kids yep. about money. Excellent. And uh, my kids, as, uh, as you and I were talking about earlier, 28, 24, and 20. So we were on the every four-year plan, trying not to have them in college at the same time. Coincidentally, they were all in college at the same time, <laughs> uh, different levels of college. And the, uh, the interviews I have with those, with my kids, uh, is interesting because I'm learning during those about the needs, the wants, the desires. And when you, when you ask the question, like, what are the changes in terms of the needs? The needs haven't really changed. You still have to save for retirement. You still have to save for a car. You still have to save for, uh, you know, buying a house. And what I find, though, is there's a lack of awareness oftentimes of aligning investments with the purpose. Definitely. And purpose can be... You know, it can mean two different things. It can be a purpose as in like, you know, ideologies and things like that. I'm talking about purpose just as like, what are you going to use the money for? Mm -hmm. And when you talk to a lot of the uh, investors, Gen Z investors, millennial investors, and I've got both of those in my in my uh, children. The question I keep asking them every time they ask me about investing is what's the purpose? Mm -hmm. Because the purpose defines the term. It defines the level of risk you should or shouldn't take. And so part of the fundamentals that we're, we're, I think we're missing in this generation right now that are coming up through who have had access to cryptocurrency investing, who have access to some types of alternative investments that aren't for qualified investors that we didn't have access to. Some of these have liquidity you know, trade-offs. And I think there's this, this appetite for taking risk that we didn't necessarily have. You know, you're 45, I'm 55. Uh, when I was investing early on, you know, risk was, you know, a, a lot scarier. Like if you lost a little bit of money, but you look at the, the people that are coming up through, they see volatility like we never saw. They, right. see, they see 80% sure. of a concentrated uh, technology fund drop by 80% and stay there, you know, like, yep. and that's just, eh, that's just another investment that didn't do well. They see crypto that went from 64 down to 13. Like, these are huge swings that yep. we didn't see much in our lifetime in, in investments that had billions of dollars in them. And so their appetite and tolerance of risk is probably going to be a little different than ours was. And we have to understand how to navigate that with this next generation. Yeah, it's interesting, too, because I think about, you mentioned purpose as being sort of the defining characteristics. Yep. Couldn't agree more. We have a session tomorrow. I'm interviewing Kanal Kapoor, CEO oh, of Morningstar. Yeah. And when I asked him, prep, like, let's go inside the mind of the next generation of investors. Give me one word to define you know, what's motivating them. And he went with purpose, too. Right. Yep. So I'm glad to hear that there's some consensus. Yeah. <laughs> but I wonder, though. Which purpose is he going to talk about? Yeah. Is he going to talk about what the money's used for? Or is he going to talk about, like, when I interviewed my daughter in the latest episode of Hey Dad, the, the question I asked her is, do you want to align your investments with any particular uh, yes. something you're, you know, that, that, that's an affinity of yours or anything? And the first thing she went to was yes. And she described yeah. what was important to her. And it had nothing to do with investing. Mm-hmm. 
so now that's something to get her more acclimated to the basics and fundamentals. We're also trying to tilt that to her desired purpose for the you know, money, not to be used for house car, but actually what types of investments those are and mm -hmm. what are the principles of those investments? Yeah, and I think that's exactly what we'll get into tomorrow. And the question I would ask you is, if I'm an advisor and I understand you know, what is sort of motivating most of the younger investors that I could be working with today and will likely be working with more five to 10 years from now, what do I do about that, right? If I know they're motivated by aligning their money with some bigger purpose or yep. intention, um, I, that's not necessarily how I've been working with clients for the last five, 10, 20 years, right? right. So how should I be thinking of aligning what I do with the needs of the next generation of investors? Yeah, it's uh, one of the things I've been talking a lot about is how we need to bring more young people into our business to be financial advisors. You know, you have somewhere around 1,500 plus people that are going to be sitting out here in an audience. I would be willing to bet uh, less than 20% of those will be under the age of 30. Maybe less than 10% will be under the age of 30. Mm -hmm. uh, and we need to go out and bring more youth into the business because that's the best way to align uh, what we're talking about with you know and, and providing to uh, from an advice perspective to younger people with younger people like have them actually help us uh, understand that better I think that's one of our big challenges we don't have enough uh, people coming out of college into our business we don't have enough people 25 30 35 coming into our business sure. we have an aging population that is giving the advice and there is a little bit of a disjoint you didn't have to worry about purpose as in uh, you know, somebody's philosophy versus mm -hmm. purpose being like a term, you know, I need like, I need it in 10 years. So that is changing. And if you don't adapt to that, you're going to fall behind. And at the end of the day, if we want sustainable long-term businesses, we have to capture them. I do believe that one thing that some advisors are doing really well, but not all, and we need to continue to improve it is we have to expand beyond the, uh, individuals that have the money. So like everybody wants to work with the the parents who have five million to invest. Well, the kids don't have any money, but you gotta start working right. with the kids. Sure. Think of it as a family unit, think of it as a household. Even when they leave the house, when they're 23, 25, even if they only have $50,000 or $20,000, we have to bring them into the conversation earlier. Uh, and I think it's really interesting to see the dynamic between parents and children of the different purposes uh, and, and reasons for investing. So I think we need to do a better job of that so we can start teaching better some of those fundamentals. That's a great point. We've actually seen quite a bit. We've done a lot of research over the last two years about what does the wealth management firm of the future look like? And we break down every service you could ever offer, right? Yep. From investment management down to concierge services, bill pay, et cetera. Intergenerational wealth management, right, is the one service that if you look five to 10 years out, goes from the bottom of the list to the top of the list, right? So it is a massive transformation. You go away from advising an individual to that unit, as yeah. you put it, right? Um, and that's a lot, right? Not every advisor will be able to do that. Not every advisor will want to do that. But I think here we have a really good group of proactive, highly interested and engaged you know, financial advisory firms. So your comments here and throughout the week will absolutely resonate. And I'm excited to see what we can help build. Yep. My last question is because it is such a big question to say, all right, how do I align my business? as an advisor with a client I might not be working with yet, right? How do I really go inside their minds and understand what they need and what they want? Are there any tools, resources? I know you obviously mentioned Hey Dad, which I think is a great one everybody should listen to and watch. Are there other things that you're doing or that you've just seen in general that you think would be helpful for an advisor who's trying to figure out how to navigate this new era? Of yeah, uh, so technology is gonna have to catch up. 
Uh, right now, if you look at like at BlackRock, we have all these different technologies to help you with understanding the tax overlays and, and better managing money from a tax perspective, a risk perspective, all of those things. But I think we have to get much better at understanding the desires, wants, needs, all of those things as well. And, and there's not as good a technology that helps uncover that. Uh, that's where maybe AI at some point will, you know, will be mm -hmm. better in terms of helping to understand the real uh, uh, purpose of somebody's investments. And so I think, I think the technology needs to catch up to that because that is one of the biggest challenges is we, we, we have to ask more questions. We have to ask different questions than we've asked in the past. Mm -hmm. A great example of it is I was sitting at a, a meeting. I won't say which meeting it was, but large audience, there are infinite people. And somebody had, and there were people on stage and they were individual investors. And the person asked the question, uh, do you believe you should invest in ESG? And everybody said, not a chance. <laughs> And then the question was asked slightly different, uh, which was a little bit more pointed towards particular things, whether it was like being sensitive to the environment or being sensitive to social issues or whatever it may be. And everybody wanted to invest that yeah. way. And so part of it is it's not good enough just to ask questions. We have to ask questions that truly bring out uh, the answers that will help us define the way that we're going to manage money for people and align their, their needs and goals and wants with what the way their money's invested. So, I think we have to give technologists to catch up to help enable that. I think we also just have to start asking questions in a way that we don't get the answer we want, but we get the answer that actually is what's gonna drive their behavior and hopefully retention with you as a financial advisor for 20, 30, 40 years. It's a, it's a great point and it really just makes me think that you know the role of a financial advisor or a wealth manager give it five, 10 years, and wealth management is just one piece of what they actually do, right? Mm -hmm. The more you can understand the purpose of the money or you know, the broader, you know, greater good or purpose that you know, they, they want to invest in, the more successful you'll be as a financial advisor and the deeper that relationship you'll have, not just with the individual, but with the whole family unit. So Yeah, absolutely, and we have to be careful because there's a lot of noise in the marketplace. And so really needing to dig in and using different questions and looking in different ways of uh, describing things is going to be important because the whole asset management world has become very politicized as mm -hmm. well. It's, oh, definitely. It's getting attacked more than uh, than I can remember in my 35 years in the ESG business. ESG became a four-letter word at some point. I, exactly. It was only three, but somehow it became four. Uh, and it, uh, so somehow that has become a political platform. We have to be really careful to uh, be, be clear with our clients uh, yeah. about what it is they want and not let the narrative that's getting a little bit out of control in the political press uh, define what somebody might want because that might lead to bad decision making. Definitely. I do think you know, more than anything, though, the role of a financial advisor is becoming a little bit more understood. It's still a little bit of a secret, right? Yeah. And I think and I hope that you know, by discussing this with you, by the presentations that we have here throughout the week and a lot of the conversations that we're just continuing to raise the awareness of, an, uh, of the impact a financial advisor can actually have on an individual investor and a family's life. So, Michael, thank you for stopping by the very first episode of the Wealth Management Edge podcast. Appreciate it and very much looking forward to your session in a little yeah. bit. Thank you very much. All right, take care, everyone. iShares and S&P Dow Jones Indices are proud to support the Wealth Management Edge podcast and financial advisors. With more than 1,250 products worldwide, iShares is dedicated to empowering millions of people to make their money work for them. Visit www.ishares.com to learn more. S&P Dow Jones Indices is the largest global resource for essential index-based concepts, data, and research, and home to iconic financial market indicators such as the S&P 500 and the Dow Jones Industrial Average. iShares and S&P Dow Jones Industries are unaffiliated entities.